Hey, I'm Kevin, the student pastor of Shore Church again. Thanks for listening to our message. We strive each week to bring you relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To find out more about us or what's going on at the church, head on over to scog.com or download the app. Hope you enjoy the message. Good morning. We are going through the life of Moses. Going through the life of Moses. So if you have a Bible with us today, uh, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5 and 6. I'm going to recap chapter 5 just kind of quickly without reading it. Chapter 6 is where we'll spend most of the time today. We're going through the life of Moses. This is a heavy hitter in the scripture. Okay, we can't get much heavier hitter than the Moses. You go, Jesus, and he's the one that trumps Moses, and that's about it. Okay, there's a lot of amazing stuff that goes on in Moses' life. It sets the foundation for um, really everything else. Um, everything flows out of this next, actually this chapter that we're going to talk about. Um, the rest of the Old Testament flows out of it. Uh, Jesus is uh, imp- is heavily influenced, and how he does his ministry is through uh, chapter 6. And so the... To say this is important is a little bit of an understatement of the century, okay? You may not have ever actually read Exodus chapter 6 before. And you're like, what is he talking about? Um, I hope I have your attention because this is important, important stuff. This most important of passages in the Bible comes at a point that we didn't pay attention to and that honestly... The Jewish people, I'm going to use Jewish and Israelites as synonyms today. They're the same people. So if that confuses you, I'm sorry. I just, my brain flicks back and forth really fast between the two of them. Um, And so if I say Israelite, that's the same people as the Jewish people. Um, There you go. Anyhow, side note. Um, But this most important of passages, uh, we don't listen to it very often. And also the Jewish people of that time didn't pay attention to it. Why didn't they pay attention to it? Because they're too busy saying life is unfair. Have you ever said this before? Have you ever wanted this not fair? Right? If you have brothers and sisters, I know you said this. I said it as an only child, so I know brothers and sisters said it. This is not fair. Why do I have to do this chore? Why do I got to do this? It always comes with a certain tone, right? That's the, that's the it's unfair moment. And then we kept on going as kids, it's unfair, it's unfair. Why do I have to take out the trash, do the dishes, do this? Why did they get three pieces, three cookies, and I only got two? Well, because you ate five Laffy Taffies earlier today. It's unfair. All right? Then like, when we're kids, we think, oh, when I'm an adult, it'll all be fair. Because I get to set the bedtime. I get to watch the TV that I wanted to watch. That is actually the barometer for what is fair in life and what is not unfair. Unbeknownst to them, there's this little thing called taxes. Right? There's a little thing called, I got to mow the grass. It's not fair. I got to do the dishes. And you little parasites keep on eating, so I have to cook for you. It's not fair. Now, I make light of it because those are the easy things to be unfair about, right? But there's a lot of other things that are really, really unfair like, I mean, just unfair things that may have happened to you, relationship stuff that happened. You, there's no, no, no control you had over it, and a relationship just fell apart. Horrible, terrible, bad things happened, and it's not fair. I get that. 
Maybe there's some things with your job or you got passed over for a promotion or you got let go and it's not fair. Some things that are totally out of your control and you're well within your rights. Go into your bedroom, have a little pity party. It's not fair. We find ourselves, the whole Jewish nation is having a little pity party. Stuff that's not their fault. There's a lot of things that happen that are the Israelites' fault in the history of the Bible. This is one of them that's not their fault, okay? And they're as collectively as a people, as a couple million people, are whining, it's unfair. Jewish people in chapter 5 find themselves as slaves in Egypt. Now, this is not a thing they did wrong. They weren't conquered. There wasn't things that happened um, that they were uh, not obedient to God's call. Uh, that, that happens later in their life. Uh, but they were... They were they're just doing their life and things out of their control. They could not handle it. They couldn't figure out what's going on here. They were just, they actually went to Egypt 500 years earlier, uh, trying to find food to eat and things happened. Pharaoh's changed. The political forces happened. And then all of a sudden they find themselves on the outside becoming slaves. They find themselves in a place that wasn't their own. It's not their own culture. It's not where it's not their own God. It's not how they, they grew up. It's not what, what was promised to them. And it's not even their fault. And it feels pretty unfair. Maybe you can resonate with that today. Maybe there's some things going on in your life or you know of stuff that happened in your past. It's like, this, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't deserve this. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I, what, how did I get here? And it can turn into a pretty big grumbling fest in this moment, Right? And so that's where the Israelites actually find themselves in this moment. What happens is Moses, we talked about last week, is wandering around the desert. He sees a bush on fire. This story, if you have no context at all, is really funny. Uh, but it's fantastic stuff, okay? Moses is walking around the, the desert. He sees the burning bush. He goes over. God talks to him. says, Moses, this is what we're going to do. You're going to go back. You're going to say, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and you're going you're gonna to lead my people to the land that they have been promised. Most, this sounds amazing. He goes back. He goes to chapter five. He goes to Pharaoh. So this is what's going to happen, Pharaoh. What you're going to do is you're going to let all these slaves go out for a three-day weekend. They need some time off. Production values that going down. Best way to get some more production out of people, give them a little, little rest, a little breather, a little mental health day, if you will. And they can go, they can come but go out in the desert, take three days off, come back, we'll, we'll do whatever. Pharaoh's like, you must be out your mind. First of all, the first uh, line item in the job, job description of a slave is, you don't get to do what you want to do. And Moses, I, I, yeah. So Pharaoh gets mad at, uh, at Moses, gets mad at the Israelite people. He says, you guys are lazy. You're lazy bums. And oh, you're so lazy, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You know how, I'm making this number up. This is not biblical. You know how you've had to make 100,000 bricks. They just know they're supposed to make bricks. We don't know how many. You were supposed to make 100,000 bricks a day. Yeah. Well, we cart out of the goodness of our Egyptian hearts, cart in the straw for you to make those bricks. From now on, we're a little tired of making those, those straw runs. You are going to go pick up the straw and still have to make 100,000 bricks a day. And Moses, I, I, I well, oh, this is not going how I had planned. And if you don't do it, you're going to get beat. 
So Moses goes back to the Jewish people. Did we get our three-day weekend? Uh, sort of. <laughs> sort of. What do you mean? Well, you know those bricks you got to make? Mm. Now you got to, you, you know, you, know, you got to go find the straw. We got to do what? You got to find the straw. And if you don't make the 100,000 bricks, you're going to get beat. Thanks, Moses. This is a terrible union negotiation that's going on here, right? It's a terrible, terrible, uh, terrible thing that's going on. And this is what, what happens. This is the, the interchange that happens. And so, of course, the Israelite people, they're going out. They're trying to find the straw. They're trying to make the bricks and everything. And when they, they fall short of their quotas, uh, much like our salespeople of today, they get beat. And so now the unfair and the grumbling starts. Because it wasn't bad enough that they already were slaves, but now they're in a totally unfair environment in which, like, there's no way we can succeed. And the only reason we're getting beat right now is because you had to shoot your big mouth off, Moses, because God's going to set us free. And this is what's, what the feeling is. And I think, like, we look down on it, like, how could they not have faith? Like, yeah, when I'm getting beat and it's totally unfair... And I, I got to provide everything going on here. This feels like a one-sided relationship, God. Uh, da, da, da. Have you ever said those words, baby? This is where they find themselves. This is where they're grumbling and they're groaning in this moment. Exodus chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. Moreover, um, this is God and Moses is like, so God, that didn't go over how we, how I thought it was going to go. So I don't, I don't know what, what's going to happen here. And maybe you find yourself in the Moses department sometimes like, that, that was not how I thought that was going to go. He's talking to God, and, he, and God speaks back. Moreover, I've heard the groaning. That's the NIV translation. Um, I think the ESV says the grumbling of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. I have heard their whining, their grumbling, the unfairness come out. I've heard it. Please keep the verse up there. I have heard it, and I have remembered... My covenant, covenant is a fancy word for promise. And there's all kinds of stuff in, inside a covenant. But it's, I've remembered my promise to these people. Now, if you have a physical Bible or an electronic Bible today, I want you to highlight the word heard. Highlight the word heard, underline it, circle it, do whatever you'd like to do. Because this is an incredibly important word in the scripture. Especially when it pertains to Moses. It's the, it's the Hebrew word shema. The Hebrew word Shema. Now, if you've been coming to Short Church of God for a while, you know we love the Shema. The Shema is the second most important passage in the scripture. I would say John 3.16, pretty big deal, right? Shema number two. Hero Israel. The, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Sound, hopefully sounds a little familiar. It's the Shema. That's what we call it. That's the, the, the traditional name for it. Why is it called that? Because it's, hear, O Israel. Listen. 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 This is important. And so God is using even that same language. I have heard that I Shema. I don't know the verb ten, proper verb tense of that. But the Shema of this. Because the word means to listen or hear with the implication of attention, attention or obeying. Attention or obeying. I'm paying attention. 
You want your kids to shema when they listen to you, right? That's the kind of listening you're desiring, not the, uh-huh, yeah, what? Uh-huh. So God has heard their cries, their grumbling, their groaning, and he comes, he responds with the intention of action. I think it's beautiful that the, the flip side of this, the, the Shema comes after this, that the response to God paying attention to them is also, listen to me, listen here. Listen, listen, listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Talk about it when you're coming and you're going. Write it on your doorpost. Tie it to your foreheads. Tie it to your arms. Know this. Listen, 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 listen. And it's so important because of what's getting ready to be promised. Okay, are you ready? This is, this is what's getting ready to be promised. In the midst of the unfair, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the heartbreak, in the midst of the groaning and the grumbling and the slavery of their life, this is the promise that's coming. Therefore, this is God talking to Moses still, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. Every time you see an I will, underline, highlight, circle, whatever uh, you need to do. I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and a mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to a land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Do you hear the promises in that? These are huge I will statements. These are declarations of God. This is who I am. This is who I will be. And this is who I'm going to be for you. I will bring you out. Not just for a three-day weekend, but I will bring you out of your slavery. I will rescue you from your bondage. It's no longer, this is not going to be the way in which life is anymore. I promise I have a covenant with you. I swear it with an uplifted hand that I will bring you out of the bondage that you find yourself in. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will pay a price for you to be with me to restore your value. I will redeem you. For those of us who, have, who maybe feel invalidated, who feel like we're worthless, who feel like we've, we've, we've just done too much wrong or some two terrible things are going on, the promise for God is, I will redeem you. I will restore your value. Just like a people who have been enslaved you imagine the mental trauma they've gone through, the beatings they've endured, the things that they've had to deal with. And God, one of the promises he says to them, not only will I just set you free, not only will I just bring you out, I will restore your value. And I will take you as my people. You will be my special possession. You won't be just left adrift to wander, to be whoever be influenced by whatever. You will be my people. I will bring you into a land I have for you. I've got a place flowing with milk and honey that's for you. And I will give you a possession. Other translations call this, I will give you an inheritance. I like that even more. 
this possession word. Because inheritance means that my daddy gave me something. I'm left with something beautiful and something that I will pass on to my children and their children. These are the promises. Doesn't that, oh, isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Aren't you, that, doesn't that make you excited? Like, oh, wow, I want to participate in that. The reaction, as you can imagine, the people are like, whoa, let's throw a party. This is awesome. God's amazing. Woo! The reaction, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they didn't listen to him because of their discouragement and their harsh labor. The greatest promises God is saying, your life at this moment, basically, you just won the spiritual lottery. I pick you. You are my people. Out of all the people in the world, all of these weirdos and these things I created, and they got this people, and they got these things, and those people are making this thing, and they've already invented iron, and da 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 No, no, no. You, you slaves in Egypt, I choose you. I will redeem you. I will bring you out. I got a special possession for you. You are my chosen people. And they're like, the bricks without straw. That's where we're at. I wonder if you could relate to that. If God's speaking to your heart and you're too busy going, I come from a long line of grumblers. My grandpa, when he is when he was communicating normally. He was grumbling. He told me the same story 18 times. I still have no idea what in the world he said because it was just a grumble the whole time. My dad sometimes could translate, and he's like, sometimes he just looks at me like, I don't know. He grumbled. And so grumbling becomes naturally to us. It's passed on. It's my inheritance. It's my special possession. (laughs) These promises, they miss it because of their discouragement and their harsh treatment. These are the most beautiful things in the world, and they miss it. What are you missing from God because of your frustration and because of your discouragement? Maybe God's speaking to your heart, speaking into your life, and you are just missing it because of the pain that's just overwhelming in your heart. And I get it. And before you start feeling guilty about that, I want you to see how God reacts. He knows. God, they miss it, and God's like, it's okay. I'm going to act on it anyway. It's not like he gives up. Oh, never mind. I take back my promise. Never mind. These people are grumbling too much. No, he continues to work in them. He continues to love them. He continues to act on his promise. I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will take you as my people. Just as if your kid, if you're lucky enough to have a child and they're whining because that's a lucky moment, right? When they're complaining about it being unfair, but you still continue to get to, uh, like my kids, I'll be make, physically actually making something for them and I sneak one of them a little snack off of it, whether it be cheese or whatever. And they're like, oh, it's unfair. I'm literally making something better for you in this exact moment. And you're going to, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Help me, Jesus, right? And like, you're just, just hold on, whatever. Just, okay, here comes the pancake. I'm sorry you didn't get the one little piece of strawberry, but here becomes the syrup. Here comes the good stuff. 
And God kind of is treating the Israelite people the same way. These promises, I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will take you as my people. They're so important that Jesus, the Seder meal is actually organized around these. These are the four cups that um, probably that Jesus might not have been liturgical in like it is today for us. A Seder meal is a Passover meal that you, you can eat um, basically on <laughs> at uh, Monday, Thursday um, for a Passover meal. And it's steeped in all this Jewish tradition. And it comes from the Passover from uh, the Egyptians getting free. But the four cups in which you participate in and you drink from is, are the, I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will take, there, I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. And I will take you as my people. And Jesus actually, when he's, um, if you read the, the Passover account, he's taking a cup and drinking from it. And they talk about, if you ever wondered why he said, oh, Jesus doesn't, won't drink from that cup again. And, uh, these weird cup things going on. Well, what it's harking back to is your tradition of participating and remembering these promises. This Mosaic covenant of, I will bring you out. That the promise is still there thousands of years later. It's beautiful. It's something we can hang our hat on. It's something that we can count on. Like the sun rising, we can count on these promises. I will rescue you, I will redeem you, and I will take you as my people. The same promises that were for the Hebrew people are for us as well, even in our whining, even in our frustration, even in our hurt, even in the hardness of life. And for me this morning, I need to remember that. In this season that I think we're in, whether wherever you are on the scale of dealing with COVID and the and all the drama that's going on in the world. That God is for us and with us. He will bring you out. He will rescue you. He will redeem you, bring back your value, and he will take you as his own. For me, dealing with, um, when I deal with the the unfair things of life, when I deal with the the frustrations of, of life, I don't know about how you feel. When I feel that resistance, when I hit that bump, when I hit that roadblock, I'm like, well, I must not, I'm not supposed to go that way. Let's turn this way. I have a Roomba now. Got it for Christmas. You ever seen a Roomba work? They're, they're kind of funny things. They bump into stuff all the time. You know, ours likes to get trapped in the bathroom. It'll spend an hour in a, you know, three by four because it, 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 it closes the door on itself. And it's like, ding, 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 ding. For you and for me, when we come into rest, uh, resistance, we kind of do what the Roomba does. We're like, bonk, not supposed to go that way. Bonk, not supposed to go that way. Bonk, not supposed to go that way. And we just kind of bounce around in life and we never stick firm through things. And God is, God is not concerned with a little resistance in our life. Because if you think about it, anything athletic I've ever done, resistance is necessary for growth. Resistance is necessary for growth. Anything I've ever done athletically, to get better, I had to have resistance. I don't like resistance. I don't like work hard, working harder. Do you like working harder than you have to? No. Nobody likes to. Going downhill is way better than going uphill, right? I will situate my walks. 
around that around the neighborhood so that on the when I'm tired or running when I'm not like I run I walk with a dog when I when I'm coming back to the house I want the wind pushing my back not walking into the wind right it's Illinois I don't have to worry about hills so but you you work that way and you're like oh okay how how do I do this the whole thing with the least amount of effort amen yeah you guys are like I don't think we're supposed to amen that Jared okay <laughs> And so this truth starts to come out in, in how we deal with God, and I think how the Israelite people are dealing with God as well, is resistance isn't redirection, it's an invitation to be shaped. Resistance is not redirection, it's an invitation to be shaped. Resistance isn't redirection, it's an invitation to be shaped. Now, there are times in the Bible that God closes a door, and people are like, I'm supposed to go this way. He does that with angels with fiery swords. Okay, so outside of probably an angel with a fiery sword, there's a lot of growth in the resistance that you can have in life. There's a thing in, in, when you're training is, is this pain? Are you hurt or are you just sore? Because like you, you, can, you can push through it if you're just a little sore, but like did you rip something? There's a, there's a different point. And I, we have to do this spiritually as well. The resistance is not redirection. It's an invitation to be shaped. We are so resistance a resistance adverse that we refuse to be shaped by God. We miss out on the opportunities. We start the grumbling way too soon. We want the path of least resistance in everything, and especially in spiritual stuff. When I was a swimmer, we had these things called drag suits. And a drag suit you'd put on during warm-ups before a meet, before you raced, and they have little pockets of parachute attached to the suit. It's a terrible, horrible, malicious invention, right? But it would slow you down so it felt like you were swimming through mud. But then you take that off and you would hit the race and it felt like you were flying. Because all that swimming, the whole thing, why you shave your head and your arms and all this stuff is so you have the least amount of resistance possible. So you go maximum resistance and then when you break through that, you feel like you're flying. If you ever watch a professional baseball game, baseball players always have these crazy-looking weights on their bats before they warm up, before their, their time in the pitcher. They're swimming, swinging these weights and knock them off. They go up to hit, improves their bat speed. <sighs> Remove that resistance and to, to actually have the growth, actually have the thing. Resistance is not redirection; it's an invitation to be shaped. So I don't know, take inventory of your life. Some things in your life are unfair. They're horrible. They're, they're, they're no good, okay? There are moments when you, you need to walk away from the, these, these abusive things. I get that. There's also moments where resistance is not a no. Resistance isn't a, oh, this is the worst thing I ever could be a part of. Resistance is an invitation for growth. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? This happens right after this. Moses, we think, had a stuttering problem. And so Moses is speaking on his resistance. Maybe Pharaoh didn't listen to me and he caused all these problems because I don't, I don't speak the best. I'm not eloquent. Maybe he's offering these excuses. And even in those excuses, God speaks, okay, fine, whatever, Moses. I know you have what it takes. I know you've got it. But you know what? Your brother doesn't have a stuttering problem. 
I'll make him speak for you. I'll, I'll deal with that. You are hitting this resistance and you feel like you need to quit. You need to run away. You, you don't want to do this anymore. The people are mad at you and they, they, they kind of hate you a little bit and, uh, because of me. Uh, right now, I know that's resistance. But I don't want you to stop. I don't want you to quit. Even for Moses, even for ourselves, resistance isn't redirection. It's an invitation to be shaped. This morning, maybe it's time to reshape the resistance you've been feeling in your life. To think about the resistance as an opportunity. We get so caught up in the difficulty of resistance, so caught up in the whining, so caught up in the grumbling that we may not be hearing the most beautiful of promises that God has for us. That he will bring us out. He will rescue us. He will redeem us. He will take us as his people. You're so important to God that he sees you in your mess and in your grumbling, through your tears and through your frustration. Those promises hold true even through that. He loves you even through that. He cares for you even through that. He will bring you out. He will rescue you. He will redeem you, and he will take you as his people. This week, it may be a moment, it may be a time of crying out to daddy, fix it, daddy, fix it, daddy, fix it, daddy, fix it. I have a little girl who's got an eye infection right now, and I've got to put eye drops in her eye for it to get better. We've tried the warm compresses, we've tried the other stuff, it's just not getting better, and so we've got these eye drops to put it in there. And she's, I just get the bottle. It's, no, does it hurt? No. Then why are you squinting? Like, but daddy, fix it. Oh, yeah, I can't do one without the other. I have a feeling that often we kind of go to God in the same way. I want you to fix it, but don't really make my life any more harder than, than it needs to be. Because we don't want to face that resistance. We don't want to face that. That resistance is not a no. It's not a roadblock. It's an invitation to get better. It's an invitation to get stronger. It's an invitation to get healthier. It's an invitation to be shaped by God. This week we found out that someone we've been praying for for a long time, um, their screens came back that the cancer was gone in their body. And there's been resistance and there's been resistance and there's been resistance and there's been hurt and there's been heartache and there's been frustration and there's been, I'm sure, a lot of groaning and whining and heartbreak in that moment. And there probably will be more heartbreak in the future. Other things, bad things will happen in lives. But in that moment to hear that the scans came back clean. If you've ever been in a, in a family that got that news. The resistance isn't redirection. It's an invitation to something so much more. If we can get past our grumbling and our complaining. And they may be perfectly valid. But to hear the promises of God. I still have you. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. And you, yes, you with all your mess, with all your weirdness, with all your goofiness, you're going to be my people. That promise is true for the Israelites 3,000 years ago, and it's true for you 
this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. And thank you for who you are, what you're about, what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, we ask you that we would be your people this morning, that we would be your redeemed people this morning, that you would bring us out of whatever slavery we found ourselves in, whether that's an addiction to a substance or a thing or a website or whatever, that you would redeem us and break us free from that bondage. Lord, that you would show us how to break through the resistance of life. That as we bump our heads against the hard things of life, that you would give us the courage and empower us to break on through. That we are your people. Lord, in this moment when we grumble and complain and we feel like life is unfair, that you would show us that you are with us, you are for us, you have us, and you will guide us. Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you all the days of your life. You are dismissed. Go with God. Thanks for joining us at church this week. And a special thanks to all those who continue to support our mission through your generosity. You too can support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community by giving on the website or through the app. To make sure you never miss out on a message, be sure to subscribe. And don't forget to hit that share button to spread the word. Have a great week.